amazing study that looks at lithium levels in the water in every county in Texas. And if you take every county in Texas and you plot it on a graph and you plot uh, suicidality and homicidality in those counties, there's an inverse relationship between the counties that have high lithium in the water and uh, low, uh, low incidence of suicide and homicide. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com. But for now, here is today's episode. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, aka Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. And man, we got a great one for you today. We're going to be talking about mental health, but not in any simple way. We're talking to Dr. Josh Friedman, and I will explain who he is in just a moment, but I'll put it this way to start out. He is someone who has been studying in this natural space for a couple of decades. And when we are lucky enough to get someone on the show who has been doing that, these people just have so much information in their head. It is crazy what he rattles off. So uh, this might be one of those times if you're really passionate about the mental health stuff or you're working with clients who have these issues, I would be taking notes. He also gave us a phenomenal resource, which will be in the show notes, and it will make more sense as you get to listen to what we're talking about today. Because we'll, we'll touch on a few subjects, but one of the main things is amino acid therapy. And as long as I've been in this space myself, I'm amazed by how not often I hear about this. And I know that's not proper grammar, but you know what I mean. I don't hear about this very often, and it's something that works super well. It's practically completely safe, and it is ridiculously cheap. So you think we'd want to know more about that. Anyway, before we get into Dr. Friedman's bio, a couple quick things. One, if you're listening to this, we have just finished up at KetoCon 2023, and I'm assuming it was a great event. I recorded this before that, obviously, but KetoCon is always a great time. So if you saw us, awesome. If you missed us, uh, we hope to see you next year. I'm sure we'll be back. The next event that you could see some of us at, at least myself and maybe another couple volunteers, will be Cellcore's event in May. I believe that is... I think that's May 17th. Okay, how about this? Maybe May 17th, 18th, 19th. It's something like that. Uh, but either way, I will be in Boise, Idaho for that event. You can come catch me at the booth, and we should have another couple FDNs there, but I'm not sure who that's going to be yet. So that'll be the next place that you can check us out. Uh, last announcement for today is that so many people don't realize they can communicate with us very easily and very directly. All you ever have to do is go to our Instagram at FDN training. That's at FDN training on Instagram. We don't use uh, chatbots on there. So we have a real person or set of people who staff that and can answer any questions that you have or 
literally, I mean, they'll respond to you within a couple of hours, typically, as long as it's within uh, normal business hours for the United States. So at FDN Training, check us out there. Uh, throw us a follow, but definitely communicate with us. Let us know what you'd like to see on the podcast. Let us know which episodes you really liked. Uh, anything is totally fine. With all that said, here is a little bit about Dr. Friedman before we get rolling today. He earned his doctorate in psychology from New York University and did postdoctoral training in psychoanalysis from the Training and Research Institute for Self-Psychology, and that is in New York City. After working in the field for a few years, he realized that something was missing from traditional mental health treatment. Go figure, right? Curiosity and a chance meeting led him to discover the world of nutritional psychology, which teaches that many psychological issues are actually caused or made worse by underlying biochemical or nutritional deficiencies. Along the way, he became certified as a yoga teacher, incorporating the emphasis on breathing techniques, meditation, and movement into his work as essential tools for working with mental health at the deepest levels. To enhance his effectiveness in helping people heal and grow, he also became certified as a holistic health counselor at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, and he went on to earn a Diploma of Comprehensive Nutrition from Huntington College of Health Sciences. He has been led to go deeper into the biochemistry of mental health by becoming a certified functional medicine practitioner, an FDN practitioner, and also studying with mental health nutrition greats such as Julia Ross, Dr. Charles Gant, and Dr. William Walsh. So, you know, the guy's kind of educated in this kind of stuff, right? <laughs> he started Alternative Mental Health Solution, that's his business, to help people find and fix the root causes of their mental health struggles. This is going to be an awesome one today, especially if you are passionate about the mental health stuff. Without further ado, let's get to today's episode. All right. Hello there, Dr. Friedman, and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, um, Dr. Friedman and I had done this uh, several years ago on a, a very small podcast that I had. He was nice enough to come on. And so it's awesome to be able to uh, bring him onto a platform where he can really share this message with people because you have something very unique to say. I mean, this is, I know other people do this, but in 200 and something episodes, I have not had one single guest come on and talk about the things that you focus on in the world of mental health. And obviously you do a lot more than just this today, but if this can help even one practitioner out there, we know it's worth it because um, this is quite literally life-saving stuff depending on the client that we are dealing with. Uh, I don't want to tease people too much, but we'll get to that part in a second. It's worth oh. mentioning your background and, and where uh, you came from. So can you talk to me, because I actually barely remember at this point, how did you go from, quote unquote, standard uh, psychology to the more holistic side? What was your background in that? So I have like a two-pronged background. The, the first part was... I was like a happy, well-functioning kid, went off to college and then found myself like absurdly, incredibly anxious and depressed, like frozen. And so I didn't know what to do. And I went the therapy route and then I went the psychiatric route. Um, and it took me a long time to sort of figure out first how to find a good therapist. So I went through five or six therapists before I found someone that was helpful. I tried five or six meds until I found something that was helpful. And it was like only, it was sort of only partially helpful. So I like now there's so much information out there, but I uh, had a really good therapist was very open-minded who taught me about yoga. So I started doing yoga from yoga. I started to learn about nutrition from nutrition, I had a chance meeting with someone who said, do you know, uh, 
I was a therapist by now, and he was like, do you know why the antidepressants don't work that your patient, that your eating disorder patients were on? I was working at like kind of a well-known, uh, it was a well-known uh, eating disorder clinic in New York City. And I said, um, I don't know, because they're depressed. And he, he said something that like changed everything for me. He said, because they don't eat enough protein. And so I had done seven years of training in psychotherapy. I had done two years of training in psychoanalysis. And no one had ever told me that brain chemistry was made from protein. Right. And so I was like, what? And so he, this, he was, he, he was a chiropractor on Long Island. And it was before functional medicine. He called himself like a chiropractic uh, nutritionist. And he handed me a book. And it was, it was The Mood Cure by Julia Ross. So this is like about 25 years ago now. And I read it in one sitting. And I was amazed that no one had put the nutritional pieces together in any comprehensive way for me. Right. No one had ever mentioned anything about nutrition in 10 years of training as a, psycho, as a psychologist, except to say people should eat well, they should eat balanced diets. They like the real basics, like they alcohol can lead to problems, but no one like dove into even one step deeper than that. Mm -hmm. And so I had this Bible and I was like, this is amazing. And I went back to the inner, this team of people that I was working with, a psychiatrist, a dietitian, art therapist, psychiatrist. And I said, look, look at this book. It's talking about these things called amino acids we can start to treat these conditions naturally. It's talking about essential fatty acid deficiencies. It's talking about candida. It's talking about like magnesium deficiencies. And there was nothing. It was like a blank, there was just a blank stare. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I thought, oh, I must have not explained it well enough. So I said the whole three minute speech again and same thing. They weren't interested. And I've since come to learn that um, it's a little bit different now, but 20 years ago when I was starting to think about these things, the mental health field, the, the physical was over here and the mental health psychotherapy stuff, psychological stuff was over here. And the two didn't really mix. Yeah. And the only interventions for mental, for, for the physical side were at that point really medication. And I came up as a psychologist in the heyday of the, of, of the latest medications. Like I came up right when Prozac was happening. Hmm. And so on the cover of Time magazine was Prozac and it was going to be the end of the end of depression. Yeah. And, of, <laughs> and of course, what we've, we've seen is much more, it's way more complicated than that. Yeah. So I, from that day forward, I realized I was never going to be a psychoanalyst. I was going to do therapy. I was going to learn ther like the best therapeutic techniques I could, but I was also going to learn other things. So sure. I became a yoga teacher. I learned about breathing. I learned about embodiment. I've learned, I went to FDN. I've, uh, and I've, so I've tried to piece together, trying to help people figure out what the low hanging fruit is for mental, like the physical sides of mental health conditions. Sure. So that's sort of the lane I've, I've settled in. 
Awesome. Well, and what's really admirable uh, admirable about this is you are someone who, like you said, you've been doing this for a while and you're very active in the FDN community. I always see a lot of your posts and stuff. And still, this is, out of all the things you've learned, this is an essential part of the practice. And I love bringing people like you on, mental health or not, just to see, all right, 20 years, 30 years of studying, what have you come up with? Like what got to the top of your list out of all these years? And so this stuff matters and yet it's still not talked about much. Right. And so um, you have this kind of revolutionary experience and and for whatever it's worth, I'll keep it short, but I, I'm not an expert in the amino acid therapy yet, but I knew it worked. Yeah. I trusted you with it. I gave a friend, Dr. Friedman, about two years ago now, a, the Mood Cure by Julia Ross. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, listen, man, I'm sorry. I wish I could explain this to you a little better. I need you to read the book. I need you to do the chart that's in yeah. it, fill it out, and I can hook you up with the supplements, but you need to figure that out. Two days went by and that guy called me and he went from angry, just lost his girlfriend, all this stuff. He's like, what is this? And I'm like, yeah. dude, if I, because he's not into <laughs> our space with all due respect. So like he doesn't, he doesn't really yeah. get even like basic protein stuff. I'm like, if I could explain to you how simple what you're actually consuming right now actually is and how safe this is compared to other things, you wouldn't even believe me. I'm like, just keep doing it and we'll work on some other stuff, uh, which brings up a topic we'll, we'll kind of get into where yeah. you know, this can motivate people. Um, okay, cool. So how did this uh, go training wise? Is there stuff out there that I feel like you, you took courses in this? Is that possible? So, so the moment, so I read the mood cure. So the mood mm-hmm. cure is, so Julia Ross was a therapist in the 1980s. She was a, 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 a marriage and family therapist in California she was working with trauma. She was working with substance use. She was working with eating disorders in like a group setting. And what she was finding was there was only so far her uh, patients could go. And so she was looking, she's like the pioneer. She was looking, she got that there was something wrong with the way their brains were functioning, that there was a level of, there was a, there were cycle, there was a psychological part of their issues but there was a real physical, physiological part. Mm-hmm. So she went to the literature. And now it's very easy to go to, you go to PubMed and you type right. things in. Like she took months and months and months. And she ended up hooking up with this bench scientist named Ken Blum. And Ken Blum is the, the father of amino acid therapy. He did the research that showed if you give specific protein fragments to people with specific kinds of conditions, their mental health is going to improve. So there was a marriage that was made. There was a cl- finally a clinician that wanted to try these tools with her patients. Mm-hmm. And there was a scientist that understood it. Unbeknownst to her, Dr. Blum had been looking for Julia Ross or someone like her for many, many years because no one was interested. So they started to administer programs to her clients. And what she found was depression got better. Anxiety got better. PTSD got better. Panic disorder got better from incredibly small interventions. So she was using one or two pills of very specific targeted amino acids, a multivitamin, some essential fatty acids, some minerals, 10 supplements at the least, at the most, mm-hmm. and people's lifelong issues. They weren't resolving because these were people that have had right. complicated trauma, but they were finally available to do the work that was necessary in therapy. 
So, yeah. so I read the mood cure and this wasn't like me because I, I was pretty like shy generally, but I was like, this stuff is too important for me to not move on. I called Julia Ross on the phone. I started oh. conversing with her. I started to do supervision with her at the time she was doing weekend workshops. Um, I did, I flew out to California. I did a workshop with her. I bought all of the CDs. She had maybe five or six. They were CDs at the time. And I was commuting to work. So I would have my little, I would have my uh, CD Walkman player and I would be listening. I just, I can, I was a, I was like FD. I I was like all the FDNs I've met. I was voracious. Mm -hmm. So I immersed myself in it. And I'm a slow, I'm sort of slow to implement so after about six months, I was like, oh, I'm going to start using these tools. Okay. So I found a couple of patients that had, uh, I started with people that had not responded, who had seen psychiatrists, had not responded well to medications. I started with myself. I personally, who have suffered from lifelong depression, anxiety, sort of had a very clear, very quick mood boost from boosting the serotonin pathways. Um, and I saw not knowing what I was doing, not knowing how to dose them, like as a pretty serious novice, I found people were, 50% of people were, were responding positively. So, um, and I've since, I've since now studied with other people, um, but Julia still, I, she is the godmother of all of this. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, and I owe a great uh, debt, debt to her. This I never either forgot or didn't know the part about like actually calling her on the phone, going out. Oh, yeah. Training. That's amazing. <laughs> and she, you know, which was and then I went out and I mentored like, you know, she would hire mentors for these for the groups. So I went out and did that a couple of times. Nice. And then I got to know Trudy Scott. who So there's all this lineage of all these sort of people in our space. that are quite well known, like Trudy Scott, who's mm-hmm. kind of the anxiety queen. She. She did the same thing. She had pretty serious anxiety and panic attacks. She read the mood cure. She used the tools. She was like, oh, my God, what are these things? She called Julia, and then she gave up her life in business and went to work for Julia as a nutritionist, and she worked with her for a couple of years and sort of learned everything there was to learn. But, yeah, it was like very – um, serendipitous in a way, uh, all of that. Sure. Yeah. One thing, um, and I, I have so many thoughts going through my head, so I'll, I'll jump into this one. And I know that I'm going to ask you some questions today that you might just have more an opinion on than an exact answer. And that's mm-hmm. totally fine. One thing that you hear a lot in the functional health space is this idea. I like think many people acknowledge what we're talking about, the idea that protein could help out and they might word it as simply as that. They might not get into the amino acids per se, yeah. but there's also a, a lot of evidence of this aspect of neuroinflammation. There's actually a right. meta-analysis that's been done with the whole, like people taking Motrin and it temporarily relieving the conditions of anxiety and depression mm-hmm. temporarily. Do you believe that there are separate causes there or is it that the neuroinflammation affects the neurotransmitters and maybe you don't have the answer but i've wondered this because i find that fascinating (laughs) i think it's both i think i think everything is multiply determined so i think there are there are often multiple causes of course there are multiple root causes of things i think probably 
that um, neuro that inflammation is the number one cause of all illness. And of course, the brain is the most susceptible organ to inflammation. And probably, uh, actually, definitely, um, there's hypofunctioning of the brain. There's going to be hypofunctioning of neurotransmitters, production, and otherwise. And if you can provide the substrates necessary to help the body push the pathways to make neurotransmitters, you're going to be supporting the uh, effectiveness of the neurotransmitters, brain communication, brain functioning in general. And in all likelihood, if you do that at the same time as you're dealing with the inflammatory issues, if you're dealing with inflammatory foods, gut bugs, brain inflammation more directly, you're going to have a, a much more effective intervention. Got so, it. yeah. And I know there are people, there's lots of, you know, Kelly Brogan and some big people in the space. And there's this point to research that the monoamine hypothesis, the, the brain chemistry, the neurotransmitter hypothesis of mental health is, is been disproven. But in my experience, um, these tools are so effective it, it, if it's been disproven, maybe we don't fully, maybe what's the problem is we don't fully understand the mechanism of action of these tools. So people will say that the mechanism of action of, of, uh, me, of the psychiatric medicines of SSRIs, SNRIs, antipsychotics probably have an anti-inflammatory component. Wow. And that, that's what's causing the mechanism, mechanism of action. So I think it's complicated and I, and I think there's another piece uh, involving the methyl, uh, methylation that psychiatry assumes that, um, assumes that mental health conditions have to do with low levels of neurotransmitters, but they're, you know, a smaller number, but the possibility that too many neurotransmitters are causing mental health problems as well. Like, the, like there are lots of lots of um, chemicals in the body where there's a sweet spot, and neurotransmitters are probably one of them. And so, Doctor, I don't know if you are you familiar with Doctor Bill Walsh? Uh, no, I couldn't uh, rehearse all his stuff, but yes, I he's the blood so guy, right? Like he does a lot of blood testing. He does blood testing, yeah. and he's interested in looking at under or over methylation. And okay. so, there's a set of characteristics, and he's using. He's actually, it's interesting, he's using whole blood histamine to assess someone's methylation status. So there's some people, so he would say that a majority of people that have a, psych, uh, a bipolar, a, a manic or psychotic reaction to SSRI medications, they become, they get, they become psychotic. Those people are in large part in, uh, they're mostly overmethylated people. So he's very, very interested in school shooters. So okay. there's a very, very strong link between uh, the epidemic of school shooting and treatment with SSRI medications. And so a lot of these kids um, execute school shootings after starting medication or raising doses of medication or stopping medication. And his hypothesis is these are people who have too many neurotransmitters to begin with and if you push on their neurotransmitter systems using the, the powerful medication, that it throws them into a psychotic episode in which they commit crime, wow. which is okay. fascinating. So he's 
He's done his best to try to test as many school shooters for whole blood histamine as he possibly can. Okay. And well, oh, that's actually a fascinating topic here because yeah. we, we all, you don't have to be in the space to know that something's going wrong here because, and, and I'm not advocating one way or the other. That's not the podcast for this, but I'm just saying that it, there's, we know there's something missing because obviously there was a time even in America, my uh, grandfather used to talk about this, where you know he brought a rifle to school where he lived and they would go hunting afterwards and, right. and this wasn't happening. Now, of course, again, different types of guns, so I'm not talking one way or the other, but he said it would never even cross his mind that someone there was planning on harming people. And now this is like happening all of the time. And, and you kind of wonder what's going on. I had actually heard, and this is very uh, amateur research here. I, I Google searched it basically. Because someone made the claim online that like 90% of these people have been on SSRI. So I'm like, all right, well, before I post that, I better check this out. And um, I heard the opposite being argued, but there seemed to be more complexity to it that, you know, I admit this was a quick scroll on my phone. It wasn't like I'm, yeah. I'm sitting down actually trying to research this. But so it is accurate then that at the very least, these people do have some major, uh, some history of medication use. Many, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, there's two sides. There's two sides to the argument. You, I mean, you could say, yeah, of course they have experiences with medication because they have they're mentally ill. So they're pe- they're kids that are identified involved with psychiatry or mental health in general. But it's it's pretty rare for someone to begin to think. Could there be a link, could there be a causal link between actually the use of medication causing brain chemistry, like worsening brain chemistry imbalances in a subset of kids that are on them? Because the truth is, even though there are lots of school shootings, most people, most kids who take medicine aren't aren't shooting up the schools or shooting up schools. But... Is there dangers in a su- in a subset of people that could potentially be identified for caution for cautious use of antidepressants? Okay. So often, what happens in clinical settings is someone becomes a little someone feels worse on the medicine. The natural inclination is to raise the dose rather than to say, "Hey, wait a second, why is this person having the reaction they're having?" And so I've seen that many, many times. But so I'm not saying it's every case. So one thing that's been advocated by people that I respect is what if psychiatrists who prescribe medicine were able to identify people at higher risk for adverse reactions to psychiatric drugs? And a a very, very simple way is to order, order a test like uh, that measures methylation status, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a $60 test available that any ordering provider can order for whole blood histamine. That would provide a huge amount of information to the psychiatrist to say, oh, this person is overmethylated. They have low whole blood histamine and that they're likely to have a potentially dangerous uh, response to certain classes of medication. Okay. So that is that would be really helpful to know. So there's there's some simple things that could really make a huge difference in, in how we administer psychiatric care. And that's just that's just one of many. Okay, I have a I have obviously it's not the main topic of today, but I know that and rightfully so you're very passionate about 
the solutions that could be possible to the school shooting thing. I I have to throw something out there then, because even selfishly so, I I admit it's something that I I ignored for a while. Um, Not ignored, but backburnered. But you know, I speak in schools and I kind of had these visions admittedly sometimes where I'm like, okay, if I was a person that was already in such a un- incomprehensible state of mind to do something like this i'm thinking about myself in an assembly i'm like that would be a spectacle for someone this sick that wants to do this i'm in a vulnerable position i'm standing right up there and like i know this is probably unrealistic but i I worry about that the one question i have then is while we're on this topic i I gotta ask do you believe i know that we should honor victims i'm of course i'm not saying that are we doing more harm than good by talking about these people, the, the shooters, the shooters so. in the news, because this yeah. is happening for more, even if it's a medication induced thing, perhaps there's still a reason that they're going and doing that act and yeah. not a mall shooter. Or, I mean, I know there's mall shooters as well, but like the school shooting thing is specific. So but it's, a very, it's a very, very public act that derives a huge amount of attention. The whole yeah. world focuses on this one actor That's, for a period of time. And these are these are people, I think, psychologically who feel very insecure, not seen, not important. And, you know, they become very, very important. Uh, And then other people want to do what they've done to get the same kind of experience, like infamous that, you know, it's, it's a path towards infamy in a way. Yeah. So it is. I mean, I don't listen. I don't know that I have the exact answer for this, but perhaps then we are doing more harm than good by like, all right, let's share their name with the world because I know. Oh, I think so. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know the Nashville uh, shooter had literally called the news outlets before they went. And so if if that's not proof that this is, that we're making this worse by doing that, I don't know what it is. They agree. The news outlets. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Uh, So, okay. You know what? I'm I'm glad that you brought that up. It's a, it's a sad situation, but it's something. It's it's peripheral. I know. I know it's peripheral. Yeah. yeah, and that's okay. But we should all be paying attention to that. That's something that needs a solution like yesterday. And there's there's many ways to attack it. And it, that's fine. All right, I'll move on to the next thing. So in terms of the amino acid stuff, I, uh, I don't know if you have any other ones that you want to bring up. But well, actually, I was going to ask testimonials. I got thrown off. Before I get into stories that have worked really well with this, one thing you mentioned about Julia is that when she was working with these people, you said it's not like they're better overnight because some of these cases are very complicated trauma. But that still implies that this is moving the needle at least to some degree. When I'm in a school, I use the example of a, a best friend of mine. He passed away. His name is Joe. And he passed away from a drug overdose. Now, Joe, it, it's not really my job to share this on a public podcast. I'll just say almost movie level plot to his life and the abuse that he experienced and then you have me that listen life wasn't perfect but it was pretty dang good man and yet we both dealt with similar symptoms so is this hopeful for even people that have been through serious traumatic abuse experiences yeah i think so no and i think i i I always tell people because people you know people think when they think about nutrition and they think about their mental health symptoms their expectation is for a small amount of change. <laughs> and what I say to I say to them, which I learned from Julia, is we're looking for cataclysmic change. We're we're lick, we're looking to rock your world, to have you feel hugely different. Um, at least that these tools are at least as powerful as medication can be. And if they're not, you're not on the right one, or this isn't what this isn't um, the avenue you need to be looking at. 
And the nice thing about amino acids is it's, it's very, very quick. In a week's time, we're going to know if any of the amino acids are going to be helpful. That's yeah, so hopeful. And, it's amazing. And, and, cheap. In, and, and it's going to be huge benefit. Not, I mean, and some people will be small benefit. And I think it's interesting because I was, um, I've been studying the, uh, the organic acid test. And the organic acid test has, um, I was taking a class with Dan Kalish, who I think is a great teacher. And he, they're neurotransmitter markers for dopamine for uh, ser- and serotonin on the organic acid test. And so if someone is low on those markers and low on certain amino acids, he will suggest specific uh, amino acids to correct the, the low neurotransmitter markers. But in my experience, he's just giving, he's giving like a generic amount without really paying a lot of attention to it. And I think it's a huge mistake because I think the chances are that people may not have as big a benefit unless you really fine tune the amount of the amino acid you're given. Okay. So let's say, so let's say, so here's what I tell people to do. So let's say someone, so there's really four main categories we're looking at with amino acids. And if I, I'm going to send you an amino acid therapy, Julia Ross's amino acid therapy chart, oh, thank um, you. which you, maybe you could post, because I think it's an amazing document. So it teaches people to think about what they're looking at. So someone's sitting across from you and the question you have, she's saying, is this a low serotonin person? Is this a low GABA person? Is this a low dopamine person? Or is this a low endorphin person? Mm-hmm. So those are the four areas. And then she includes blood sugar as sort of a fifth area. But she's saying, um, train yourself well enough so five minutes into a conversation, you can tell what supplement they need. So I have another mentor. His name, he was a beautiful, lovely man who just died. His name was Dr. Charles Gant. He would go to AA meetings and he would look around the room and he would go serotonin, dopamine, serotonin, GABA. He would train himself to look at someone, to hear them utter a few sentences and know what supplementation they needed. So when people will say to me, they're like, oh, you're not going to test. You're not going to test me to see which neurotransmitters are off. I say to them, I'm the test. And, And I've done it long enough where... And I used to do neurotransmitter testing, but I found it like it confused people. And I found it just as effective to use a quick pencil and paper inventory and go from there. So here's how to think of it. So low serotonin depression. This is sort of how a good psychiatrist would think because they're thinking, what's the presentation here? So if someone's depressed, the question is, what kind of depression is it? So a low serotonin depression is an agitated or anxious depression. Mm-hmm. So there are people, so what does that person look like? They might be pacing. They might be tapping their foot. They're ruminating. Their mind is going too fast. They're having difficulty eating. They might be having suicidal thoughts. They might be having outbursts. They might, they're like this. They're like, 
They can't get comfortable in their own skin. So that's very different than a low dopamine depression. So dopamine is, we think of it like pleasure, motivation, attention, concentration. I usually call that Eeyore depression. Okay. So in, in psychotherapy terms, they'd say that person is psychomotor retardation. They're stooped. They talk slowly. They sleep too much. They eat too much. You might think of them as low thyroid. They're not motivated. They're not like excited by life at all. Mm -hmm. So if you can, if you can start there and identify, so on the amino acid therapy chart, she lays out these two areas. Um, and so then she lays out GABA and GABA is the part of the brain, um, that has to do with more physical tension. So bodily tension, stiff, stiff muscles, um, anxiety, difficulty sleeping, um, like sort of people in our world, we would think of low magnesium types, low potassium types. Um, and then there's the endorphins and the low endorphin people tend to be um, sensitive to pain. And that pain could be emotional or it could be physical. So uh, Julia Ross calls it the heartbreak calls the, the supplement DPA, D-phenylalanine, which boosts the endorphins, as the breakup pill. There are people where their heart hurts. Everything is too much. They can't tolerate what life has to offer. And the more you can begin to see the difference between these people, you can be, begin to address, let's, I, I'm thinking, let's focus on calming your mind a little bit. Let's focus on your agitation. Let's focus on your compulsive, your OCD. And you just start them on, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you one dose of tryptophan or 5-HTP. These are the two amino acids that address serotonin. We're going to give you either, if you have more symptoms at night, we're going to give you one before dinner, one at bedtime. Or if you're suffering all day, we're going to give you before breakfast, before lunch, before dinner and bedtime. And your job and the people around you is to sort of figure out like what what four symptoms are that you would like to see different. Mm -hmm. And let's give it a number on one to 10. Let's say it's, it's, you can't sleep. Your brain is racing. Um, you're depressed and anxious. And like do it for a couple of days and see what happens to those symptoms. And then let's go up to two capsules and you're looking for improvement, staying the same or feeling worse. And the goal is to go up far enough. Let's say you take one capsule, you don't notice anything. You take two capsules and you start feeling brighter or lighter. True. You take three capsules, you're like, oh, man, my mind is calming down. I'm not compulsively eating. I'm settled. Um, you take four capsules each dose, and you feel worse. Your dose is three capsules. Self-titration. And, so, yeah. and that's really, it's so effective and so important to find that right dose. 
Okay. So, and this is great. I'm looking, I'm thinking about myself just because that's an easy example to use. Yeah. Uh, just even knowing what you just told me, I'm thinking, okay, well, I didn't eat much. I had a terrible time sleeping. I was angry as can be. It's what, well, my allowing that anger to take over is what got me kicked out of school. Yeah. Um, I was miserable, but not necessarily unmotivated in the traditional sense. I mean, just based off that, I'm thinking, okay, the serotonin one, right? Yep. You would definitely, that. those would be classic low serotonin symptoms. So if you went to a psychiatrist with those symptoms, they would put you on Zoloft or Prozac. And they'd Which say, is exactly what I got. <laughs> I got Zoloft. Yeah. And so in some people, that would be amazing. And so the question, uh, an interesting thing is, why does someone take Zoloft or Prozac? It doesn't work. And why do they take amino acids and they do work? And so, you know, often people will come to me who have tried the traditional route because the truth is most people aren't seeking out a, a FDN or an amino acid therapist, you know, and it's fine. Like if someone, t- it's way easier to take one dose of Prozac and, you know, a day and it changes your life. We never see those people. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's research. The government did research on antidepressants. How well are they working? It was called the SMILES trial. And they found that antidepressants work. They help with 50% of symptoms and 50% of people. So it's not that great, actually. But some people, I mean, I've been around a long time. Some people do really well on antidepressants. And they get on them and they stay on them and it's no big deal. And it's our job to figure out the other people. But I was going back to your thing. Yeah, that's those are low, low serotonin. Some people are going to be low in everything. And what do you do then is the question. And so there are targeted amino acids. So targeted amino acids would be tryptophan, 5-HTP for serotonin, GABA, different forms of GABA for GABA, um, tyrosine or DLPA, DL-phenylalanine for uh, low, low, dopamine and DPA for low, uh, for low endorphin. But what do you get? So in this day and age, people come in and they're like, well, I have all of these. What do we do? And so I, here's what, here's an, here's an interesting thing. So there are broad spectrum amino acid blend. So if someone came in and they were like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm low dopamine, I'm low GABA, I'm low, uh, endorphin, the first thing I would do, I'd be like, hey, let's let's do a total, let's do a product called total amino solution and see how you do. Then I would say, how's your digestion? Because the thing to remember is if hydrochloric acid is low, if people are protein malnourished, if people aren't able to absorb protein because of gut dysfunction, there are no amino acids in the system to be used for brain chemistry. So if people are zinc deficient, so zinc, uh, low levels of zinc leads to low levels of hydrochloric acid and no hydrochloric acid, people are on PPIs, protein pump inhibitors, you know, to decrease heartburn, which leads to a a disaster of no protein, Uh, no amino acids available. So, I was prescribed one. It's just weird looking back at all the, yeah. the channels of stuff, you know, because that came right before the depression or right around the depression. And I think PPIs alone can cause depression. 
Okay. Because if you think, because if you think about it, I mean, because if you think um, Prozac does nothing to create neurotransmitters, it just makes more efficient use of whatever neurotransmitters are in the system. So, huh. okay. So Prozac does. that could be a reason why it doesn't work for some people if they're not getting it to begin with. And so, one of the first cases that I worked on was a. Uh, worked with these tools on was an anorexic girl with um, who was on Prozac, who was having minimal benefit. And I said, huh, okay, what are you eating? Oh, you're eating lettuce and, you know, you're eating almost nothing. How much protein are you eating? And we did the calculate, like she would just eyeball it. She's having 10 grams of protein a day. Wow. So... I, you know, like basic education about neurotransmitters, how are they produced? Like how are neurotrans, how are, how are the brain, how is brain chemistry made? Oh, it's made from protein. Oh, you can only use amino acids if you eat something, enough of something, and you break it down into the, 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 uh, the substrate amino acids. Oh, you can only turn those amino acids, you can only turn tryptophan into serotonin if you have specific enzymatic cofactors, which are rate limiting. So if you don't have enough B6, if you don't have enough magnesium, if you don't have enough zinc, the whole process slows down. Mm -hmm. That's not to mention any of like the genetic SNPs that can sure. influence. So you're thinking, oh my God, it's very difficult to turn this food into brain chemistry. So we gave this anorexic girl, she was willing to take supplements. We gave her 500 milligrams, which is the starting dose of tryptophan twice a day. It was all she would do. And her mood started to lift after a couple of days. She started to get less rigid in her thinking. She started to say, oh, I think I need to eat a little bit more so I can have energy, so I don't pass out anymore. And it was like, it was amazing. And the tryptophan wasn't the end. It was the beginning. Sure. Because it provided her with, in her case, it wasn't like relief. It was like she could finally think again. Because her brain was really kind of had been offline, stuck in these rigid eating disorder patterns and thoughts. Wow. Can we um can we talk about and I know this might be a while ago, so I don't know if this automatically comes to your head. I remember yeah. I was listening to a podcast you did, and I don't know if it was during this time, but I remember you posted something and it was like during the pandemic, and I vividly remember I was walking because I was so bored, I would just walk like three miles <laughs> to the grocery store and back every day. And uh I remember hearing about this gentleman who came in and it was, it was rather dramatic where he basically, I think he had a weapon and said that he was going oh, to yeah. take his own life. So, and, but you turned him around. No, that, that, oh, oh, that, yeah, 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 yeah. That he was amazing actually. So he, you know, he's about 10 years back and we, he was one of the first people I did functional medicine testing on. And so uh, it was like, he was desperate. He had been hospitalized. He had been alcoholic. Um, he had had um, really lifelong depression. His situation was made much worse by be being put on psych meds. 
he sort of became even more hopeless. They upped the dose. And we did um, some food sensitivity testing, not MRT, Mm -hmm. before MRT. We did some IgG testing. We did an organic acid test. And we did uh, HDMA. And I didn't know how to interpret these tests very well at that point. (laughs) I didn't know all the ratios, HDMA ratios. So I did the wrong hair test. I did, you know, a doctor's data test and not trace elements, blah, blah, blah. But what we did find out was enough to turn his life around. So on the test, we found, and uh, I, I say we found the usual, like I look, we were looking for the usual suspects. So what did we find on this guy? We found a very significant allergy to dairy. And so why was this important? He was a weightlifter that was doing, that was doing dairy-based protein shakes six times a day. Okay, that's, a big, that's like a big finding. So he was poisoning himself every single day. On the hair test, we found low levels of lithium. We later found out that he came from an area of Texas that had very, very low levels of lithium in the municipal water, just by chance. Because I read a study, there's an amazing study that looks at lithium levels in the water in every county in Texas. And if you take every county in Texas and you plot it on a graph, and you plot uh, suicidality and homicidality in those counties, there's an inverse relationship between the counties that have high lithium in the water and uh, low, uh, low incidence of suicide and homicide. And it's a near perfect correlation. So we put him, we put him on lithium. We put him on some lithium orotate, low-level low lithium, not pharmaceutical, uh, supplemental. And then we also found low levels of uh, serotonin and dopamine, the the markers on the oat, which is uh, the urine markers, not the best markers. But we put them first on serotonin support. When he settled down, we put him on some dopamine support. And his life turned around. So a week or two into this, he called back and he said, this is amazing. I, I I haven't felt this way since I was a kid. And he was like, he was done. Like I was, I was his last person. I was like, oh snap, I'm his last person. I still felt kind of new at this. And I felt it was just very, very rewarding. And then he wrote me um, four years later, I lost track of him. He had referred other people. He referred his brother who had similar issues. He referred uh, friends. He said, I've been free of depression for all this time, four years. And he had started, he had started singing and record. He was like, he wanted to become a recording artist and he had done all this amazing stuff in his life. He had had a a romantic relationship for the first time. So it was like really incredible. And it was like very small little steps. Um, But, but it's a testament to the, that's a testament certainly to the testing but as a first step with almost everyone, helping them with neurotransmitter support can be incredibly helpful. And so if you help people feel 20% better immediately, you get buy-in from them. You, they're, they're able to um, rise up and do some of the things you're asking them to do. Exactly. Um, and they believe, they believe in the process very quickly. 
And amino, the cool thing about amino acids is at when you're at the right dose, they're going to notice within 10, 20, 30 minutes. Like it's immediate. Like yeah. they're going to have a, an immediate reaction. Julia Ross has those stories where she said occasionally, not every time, but occasionally she'd have someone come in the office. And by the time that they were leaving, uh, they already, they, they felt better because, you know, she yeah. was getting that good at it. Um, and it, this is crazy to me. I know I'm biased, but I love this topic, but I think everyone's going to feel this way of how fast this is going. If you guys want uh, Dr. Freeman to come on and just share this endless knowledge, it seems uh, again, please reach out to us. You guys know how to do that DM on at FDN training on Instagram and we'll bring him back. Dr. Freeman, one question I had to get to today because there's got to be someone else that's thinking this here, and yeah. I admittedly don't know the answer to this. Is this is this contraindicated with the medicines, or can someone try this out while being on a medicine? Yeah, so it, it is not contraindicated. The general rule of thumb is taking amino acids four hours after your dose of medication. But if I was on medicine, if, if anyone's out there, they're on medicine, their clients are on medicine, I would find a practitioner to work with um, who can make sure there's a theoretical risk of something called serotonin syndrome, too much serotonin. I, I probably, I wouldn't advise people to self-treat if, if they're on medicine, but it is possible. I've worked with many people on medicines, but spacing them out, going even more slowly, Staying in closer touch with a practitioner is the way to go. And okay. Julie and Julia Ross has a list of providers that she's trained on her website. I, I would be one of them. And there's, you know, I don't know, a hundred or so on her website. Well, and I, I'm about a minute or two early of asking that, so I might as well yeah. just ask. Please tell us where can people find you if they're like, this is my guy. I need to talk to him. So my my uh, my website is Alternative Mental Health Solution, and it's Mood. That's the name of my business. It's MoodHealing.com. Excellent. Yeah. Um, I, I know there's going to be a lot of FDNs out there that are excited. Guys, buy the mood cure. Uh, if nothing else, yes. check that out. Uh, thank you for the advice with, you know, be careful with the self-treating aspect, especially if we're yeah. currently using medication. Thankfully, for better or for worse, I feel like a lot of people that listen to this podcast, you know, might be rejecting medication. Now, I don't necessarily believe in that. I think you should try to feel as good as you possibly can. But I know I've talked to them and they might be struggling right now, but they don't want to take the medication because they're worried about the risks with that. So hopefully this is something they can implement overnight. And guys, what's crazy about this, it is cheap. Uh, I remember Julia Ross saying in the book itself that she believed that just the simple answering of questions in the book was a more accurate way to measure this, uh, uh, measure which neurotransmitters you should use or sorry, mm -hmm. which amino acid you should use. Then any blood draw or anything out there. Like, so for a $19 book and then some of the cheapest supplements you can imagine, you can really turn this around. And it's, it's criminal to me that this isn't talked yeah. about more even and in the I, functional space. I do think that the amino acid therapy chart is genius. I think the way that it chunks information, it trains clinicians to begin to think, to, to think about very uh, operational uh, categories of mental health symptoms and she, on the chart, and I'm going to email it to Evan, on the chart, it um, it says, take these supplements at these doses. Here's how you introduce them. Here's how you titrate them up. Here's how you find your sweet spot. Like, she shares in that book all of the jewels. Like, you know, like some, you know, she's old school. So she wants, she's just 
$20 book, she's putting it out there. She knows that 30 or 40% of people will be able to do it themselves and get better. And she then knows that some people are going to need more support. If, if anxiety is your, if anxiety is the primary issue, um, Trudy Scott has a book. It's called The Anti-Anxiety Food Solution. And it builds on Julia's work and it's more targeted for anxiety. And Trudy um, is a wealth of information in that area. Um, and she's, she's, uh, she's a real researcher. So she's added to Julia Ross's um, uh, uh, form, the, the amino acid therapy chart with a few new sort of things in each of the, each of the amino acid areas. And I'll send that as well. Excellent. Um, okay. Dr. Friedman, this one might be more general, but it's our signature question on the podcast. Yeah. You can feel free to answer this any way you want, even though I know the topic was mental health today. Uh, but since it's your first time on, the question is as kind of simple as this. If we could give you a magic wand and you could wave it and get every single person in this world to do one thing for their health, so you can get them to start doing one thing or you can choose for them to stop doing one thing, what is the one thing that you'd get them to do? So I'm going to go with mental health. I'm going to go... Eat 75 to 100 grams of protein. Sounds good to me. That's Thank my, you so yeah. much for coming on today and sharing this. Thank you so much for having me, Evan. Yeah.